we're looking at Daniel 10 today of somebody else who was under a government that he didn't like, that was making things happen that he didn't like. And in this, we get another picture in Daniel where God kind of pulls back the curtain and we can see a little deeper. We can see a little more what's going on. So far in Daniel, we've talked about that when he's kind of pulling back the curtain, let us see the future, let us see what's coming. Um, But today in Daniel 10, we're going to see him pulling back the curtain where we can kind of see into the spiritual realm. And what's going on on the spiritual side of things while we are living on the physical side of things. And so I ask you today, do you believe that there is a spiritual realm? Do you believe that there are are forces at play outside of what we see, outside of what we can touch, outside of what we necessarily just kind of experience in our daily life? Because what we're seeing today in Daniel is a picture of that and seeing what was going on at his time um, in that realm. Um, And so we're going to be in Daniel chapter 10. And that's uh, where I start today, Daniel 10, chapter, in chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl and his face like an appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like a sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and I heard the sound of his words. I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken these words to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understanding and humbled yourselves before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. So it starts with Daniel is praying and fasting for three weeks. And it doesn't say what it was that had troubled him so. He doesn't say why he was mourning in this way. 
Um, He doesn't say that, but he does tell us when it happened. We also know that at this time he was he was still in the service of the king. He would have been privy to information of what was going on uh, throughout the world, especially in Jerusalem. Um, at this point in time, some of the captives have returned to Jerusalem. They started rebuilding the temple, and then they faced opposition. And it was at this time that the, the rebuilding of the temple had stopped. So many commentators believe that, that most likely what Daniel is so distraught over is the fact that that the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the temple has stopped. There was hope. All of, the, all of a sudden, the thing they were looking for, the restoration of the temple, restoration of, of their Jewish heritage uh, was coming back, and then now it has been halted. And, and Daniel, I think, is sad over that. And I think he's, he's weeping over that, and he's, he's seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, where are you? Where are you in this? What's going on here? And then he's given this vision. And this guy shows up. And you, you, you saw the description of this guy. He's not just like, you know, your little homeboy down the street, kind of hanging out kind of guy. Like this guy's face has lightning coming out of it, right? Like not the kind of thing you just kind of take lightly, right? Um, and this guy starts talking to him and telling him stuff. And he starts telling him about, hey, yeah, I was sent to you, but it's taken me these three weeks to get here because I was battling with the prince of Persia. And we see in this this account this kind of biblical idea of spiritual forces at play over certain regions and certain areas. And this, this prince of Persia is most, most likely a fallen angel um, who, is a, who we would also call a demon. Um, who is, is, that's his territory. And we see this in scripture um, that the, these demonic forces are territorial. Um, they connect with certain areas. Um, I, I believe a lot of like um, the old Roman Parthenon and all of that uh, was these different fallen beings uh, who were drawing worship to themselves and away from God. And that's why the people put together all these different gods, um, because they were worshiping these other beings. That's what my view is on that. But, but here we see um, in Daniel that this, this man clothed in linen came to him and he's saying, hey, sorry it took me three weeks to get here. I had to deal with this other, this other guy over here, this other spiritual force. And I couldn't leave until Michael got there. And once Michael got there, then I came to you. And the main thing I want us to get out of this is there is a war that is going on in the spiritual realm. Okay? We don't fully understand it. We don't fully grasp how all of it works. But there's a war that's going on in the spiritual realm. And uh, we, we see this in the New Testament. We see this uh, in Jesus' life, especially as he, he walked the earth. Um, let's look at Matthew uh, 8. Matthew 8 says this. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gardenes, two demon-possessed men met him 
coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And now a herd of pigs was feeding some at a distance from them. And then he goes on and they say, hey, if you're going to cast us out, cast us in the pigs. Jesus says, hey, go to the pigs. And then they go to the pigs. Pigs run off the cliff. They die. All the people freak out. They're like, Jesus, get out of here. Okay. Um, <laughs> but my point is, is, is these, these two demon forces are there in this, this place. And they, they, by reading this, it seems like they're saying, hey, we're outside of your territory, Jesus. Why have you come here? Why have you come here to this place to bother us? We know in the end, we're going to ultimately be tormented for eternity. We know that's what's coming. We know that's the end result. But why are you here now? Are you here now to start punishing us now? And Jesus, even in this setting, he shows even compassion on these demons and gives them what they want. He says, get out of the men. I'm not going to let you keep tormenting them. But yeah, you can go into the pigs. And they kill all the pigs. So I don't know where they went then. But that's what happened. But we see this spiritual war that's at place. And this, this spiritual dynamic that is taking place. Um, especially as Jesus walked the earth. Or things that we might just mark off as like, oh, that's kind of crazy, or that's weird, it's going on there. Jesus is like, no, that's demonic, that's spiritual, that's something that's happening right now. And he drives the demons out, he casts them out. And it's very clear through Jesus' ministry that just by his word, he has all authority over these forces. He just has to speak a word and they have to listen. There's no, there's no of them arguing back, fighting back, trying to overpower him or anything like that. Just by his presence and his power, he's able to command these beings. Okay? So if you get worried about the, this, these spiritual forces, if you're worried about the demons or whatever, here's the key. Know Jesus. Because he's stronger. And he can take care of them. And you don't have to worry about them. Okay? Now, that does lead us to an interesting discussion about Daniel 10. Who is this guy that shows up to Daniel? Commentators fall in different places on this. All right? So much so that it's, it's hard to take a hard stand on one, one saying of who this is. Many say that this is an angel. Um, some of them say they want to want to say, well, it's, it's, it's probably Gabriel, the one who's been coming to him before, uh, to which I would say, well, he already knows Gabriel and he's called Gabriel by name. So it looks like if it was Gabriel again, he would just say, and Gabriel came, right? Like, I mean, that's what he's done already through Daniel. So that kind of would make sense. Um, so one side says it's an angel. Another other side says it's Jesus himself. That is the second person of the Trinity shown up to meet with and talk with Daniel. Um, I can see both sides. I can make arguments for both sides. On the angel side, not being Jesus, it's not being Jesus, the biggest argument for that is it took him three weeks with some dude in Persia, right? If it's Jesus, looks like he would just have to say something and that guy's put in his place, that spiritual force is taken care of, and he's right back to where he, he was going to Daniel to, to come meet with him like he wants to, right? So that's the biggest argument for this being an angelic being, not Jesus, not the second person of the Trinity. 
on the other side, on the Jesus side, there's a lot of pros uh, that this could, in fact, be Jesus. Um, one, this is a small one, but this, the account of this vision is very, very similar to account in the New Testament of Paul's Damascus Road experience with Jesus. You remember that? So Paul uh, was going to persecute the church. He was going to kill Christians. Um, he's traveling down the road. A light shows up, blinds him. A voice speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And, uh, and it's Jesus speaking to him. But when it happens, the guys that were traveling with him couldn't hear it. They didn't know what was going on. And they all just kind of either ran away or fell down, right? Um, they didn't perceive the whole vision. They didn't perceive everything going on. Just like what happens with Daniel here. Daniel's got other guys with him. When it starts happening, they don't see everything. They don't see the guy, but they get this sense of something's going on and we got to get out of here. Uh, and they run off. So there's a small one, not necessarily, a, hey, this has to be Jesus just by that, but there's one thing to think about. Secondly, um, his description of what this person looks like, did you, did you catch it? Let's read it one more time. Back in verse six, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, a man clothed in linen. What color is linen? White. Okay, good job. Um, with a belt of gold from Euphaz around his waist. His uh, body was like beryl, and his face was the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches, his arms and his legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. All right? So that was his description of what this guy looks like. Now let's turn over to, to Revelation and in Revelation uh, 1, uh, starting in verse 12, we'll read this. So this is John uh, writing this, and it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, so chest, not belt, but still there. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From the mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So you have two guys that have a vision of somebody and they're using their own words to try to describe it. This sounds very, very, very similar. And John goes on, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And so here in Revelation, it's very clear that this is Jesus. And so the, just the, the starking similarity between Daniel's description of who he sees and John's description of who he sees, it's like, this really seems like it's the same person. This really seems like it's the, the same guy. Next, later in this, uh, in Daniel, we haven't gotten there yet, um, but Daniel is going to speak to this person, which there, is, there are some people that say there's two different guys in here. Um, 
I think it's all the same guy that's appeared to him, okay? So in a minute, he starts referring to him as son of man um, instead of this description. And so some people say that it's two different, but I think it's all the same guy. Um, but anyway, he, he calls him Lord. And this being, this person, doesn't correct him. Um, Daniel is worshiping this person, this being, and he's not corrected. Whereas what we always see with angelic beings is if they are being worshipped, they're quick to say, stop it. Stop. Don't worship me. I'm not worthy of worship. Worship God. Right? But yet this, this being, this person accepts the worship. Um, and so uh, if you want verses on, on the angels turning away worship, you can look at Revelation 22, 8 and 9 um, has that. Um, but also Jesus, when he was tempted, uh, Matthew 4, 9 and 10, uh, when Satan said, hey, worship me and I'll give you all this. And he says, no, it's written, you worship no one but God alone. Um, and so Jesus is saying the only one worthy of worship, the only one who should accept worship is God, right? And so, so for those reasons... It's my guess right now, at this time and where I am in studying this, that this is Jesus. I, I think that this is Jesus who showed up. Why he took three weeks with the Persian guy, I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know what all he was doing there. I don't know why he had to have Michael come kind of relieve him before he could, could leave to come see Daniel. I don't know. Don't understand that part. But I do think that this is Jesus. I think this is Christ who showed up for Daniel. Daniel's in this moment where he's distraught. He's praying. He's worried about where things are going. And Jesus is showing up here to him, and he's saying, hey, things are going to be okay. I've got this. All right, so let's move on into that part. Verse 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute. This is the next thing we see that's true throughout Scripture, is anytime a sinful man comes in the presence of God, it doesn't bode well for him physically. We've already seen this throughout uh, where, where, you know, this has already happened earlier in the chapter where, where Daniel just said his presence has fallen down. And then the guy touches him and he's able to get up at least on his hands and knees then. And then he talks to him and now, now Daniel's he can't talk. He's mute. He can't speak. And he, he's just, he's overcome at this point. And I'm, I'll tell you, it is unbearable for sinful man to be in the presence of a holy God. You know, one of the kind of diagnostic questions we use um, in Christianity is, and I use this, so I'm not bashing. I'm just saying, like, I think we should think about this. But say, like, if you were to die today and you were to stand before God, he would say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Right? And it's a good way to think. It's a good thing to think about because that tells us a lot about where you are in your spiritual journey and whether or not you're counting on the right things for your salvation, whether or not you're counting on Jesus to be the one who saves you, right? Um, so if I ask you that question, that's kind of where I'm coming from and asking it. But hear this. Don't count on it happening that way. Because anytime we see in Scripture that sinful man is standing before a holy God, he can't even speak. So don't, don't expect to get before God and God to be standing there saying, so what do you think? Like, you want in or what? Like, make your case to me, right? No, just in the presence of his holiness. Every man we see in Scripture who's given that, that blessing, that opportunity to be in his presence, comes away physically affected by it. Struck by the fact that they're unworthy. Daniel here, unable to speak. And so don't take lightly 
going into the presence of a holy and righteous God. It goes on. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men touched my lips. See, that's why some people say this is a different guy at this point. I think it's the same guy. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. And again, one, having an appearance of a man, touched me and strengthened me. See, here's the the amazing thing. Even though to be in the presence of God is completely debilitating to us, Jesus and how great he is, all he has to do is simply touch us. By his touch, peace comes, strength comes, encouragement comes. To be touched by Jesus brings peace and healing and strength. We see this twice here in Daniel 10, where he's just physically overcome, and simply by a touch, he regains strength. We see this throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, that as sick people come to him, people who are fighting with ailments and everything like that come to him, all Jesus has to do is he touches them. Reminded of the one lady who who, uh, snuck up behind him in the crowd, and she just knew if she just touched his cloak, that she would be healed, and she was. And he's like, hey, I know my power just went out for me. What's going on? And we see this with Jesus. This is how powerful he is. But here's, here's the even bigger thing with Jesus, the even greater thing with Jesus, is he doesn't even have to be there to physically touch you. He can touch you right where you are. Even when he, during his earthly ministry, we saw this in Matthew 8, um, in Matthew 8, it, uh, it's the account of a, a centurion coming to him. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came and, and forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority and soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another one, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And so we see in this story that Jesus, the centurion is like, hey, I know how it works in spiritual war. Because I know how it works in physical war. I tell a soldier to go get something done, he goes and gets it done. I know it's a spiritual war that's going on in my house. You tell, you tell the spiritual forces to go get it done, it's going to get done. And that's the same as true for Jesus today. Maybe there's something in your life where you need a touch from Jesus. Maybe you need his healing. Maybe you need his peace. Maybe you need his strength. I want to encourage you today to cry out to him in belief and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in you and I ask you to come and touch me today. 
Bring what I need into my life. Bring this healing. Bring this peace as only you can. Because Jesus is happy to do that. And that's the amazing thing about him. By who he is, we should just be struck down in his presence because of who we are. Yet because of his love, because of his mercy, because of his graciousness, he comes and meets us where we are. And that's what he did when he came to the cross. When he came to earth and lived a sinless life, taking on the human flesh, living, living as one of us, yet he never sinned. Died on the cross, paying the punishment for our sins so that he could forgive us, so that he could pray the, pay the price for us. And we know that payment was received. We know that he's able to offer what he says that he can offer because he rose again. He defeated sin and death. And he's seated today at the right hand of the Father where he is in control, where he is in charge. And he is able to say, hey, I want you to go help them. Go take care of their problems. Go meet their needs. And so today, if you are in need of Jesus touching you, I encourage you to just cry out to him. Because you see, there is a spiritual war going on. But we're at a different point in the war than when Daniel 10 was happening. Because when Jesus died on that cross, when he said, it is finished, that meant that he had fully secured victory. The war is won. It's no longer up for debate. There's, you know, if you, if you think, oh, well, well, we'll have to see how this thing works out. We don't know. It's already done. It's sealed. Even as those, those demons and the two men that went into the pigs, they knew what was coming in their future was ultimately torment. Scripture is clear on it. Yes, Jesus has secured that. He now holds the, the keys to Hades, as he said there in Revelation, as we read earlier. He has that control. He has that authority. And what's coming for all of those spiritual forces who are against him is eternity in a lake of fire. That's where they're going to be cast. And their strategy at this moment in the war is try to take as many of us with them as they can. That's the best thing they got now. They can't win. They've already lost. But they're trying to take as many people down with them as they can. And so they use different strategies for that. One, they try to just let us trick us into believing there's not really a war going on. There's really nothing to worry about. Spiritual things aren't really real. That doesn't really happen. It's just science. It's just life. You just live and then you die. And that's all there is. Which is a lie. They're really good at lying. Okay? Another strategy that they, they use is for those who are really into spiritual things, trying to make them think that, make people think that, oh, well, maybe this side really has a chance in the end, right? And this side does seem a lot more fun. So let's do this and see if it works out in the end. Which if that's the strategy that you're buying into, you're buying into a losing strategy. Um, I'm a, a big fan of college football. I know at least three of you are as well. Um, and so uh, I like, uh, really like college football. 
Uh, but a big change has happened in college football in the States recently. Um, so it used to be that, like, you went to a school and you were there for four years and, like, that's, that was your school and you're trying to help that team and you wanted to get that team where they wanted to go. Uh, well, then they changed it, well, where players could transfer to another school, but they had to sit out a year. Um, so you, you lost a, a year of, of your playing time to go sit out a year so that then you could play for another team. Well, now they have what's called the transfer portal, portal, and any player that wants to at any time just say, I'm putting myself in the portal, and then if another school wants me, another team wants me, then they can recruit me, and I'll go to their school and play. Um, and so it's been a big change um, in the dynamics of college football because, like, uh, this year's, like, the starting quarterback for Oregon, last year he was the starting quarterback for Auburn, and the first game of the season they played each other, right? It's like... What is this? Or what? No, they played Georgia the first game of the season. Anyway, but yeah, he was playing the, the wrong. Yeah, it's like, what? I thought he was on that team. Now he's on this team. Um, but it's been, I think it's good for players. I know coaches, it's a lot easier for them to get the players they want to fill the holes that they need, that kind of thing. But we see these players all just kind of choosing the team that's going to be best for them and going where they want to go to try to advance their career and that kind of thing. And so that they hopefully can make the NFL. That's their goal, right? Um, and I bring that up to say this, when it comes to spiritual teams, there's only two. There's those who are with Jesus and those who are against him. And the question is, which team are you on? Because you're on one of them. And there's not a transfer portal that goes both ways whenever you want to. There's a transfer portal, portal that only goes one way. And it goes from where you're against Jesus to where you say yes to Jesus. To where you say, I am with you. You are my Lord and Savior. I am on your team. And I want to ask you, have you gone through that portal? Because here's what we see in the end of Daniel 10. Again, one having the appearance of the man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. So that's the part we just saw about him, Jesus strengthening and bringing peace. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and I will go out, and behold, the prince of Greece will come, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So what does that mean? What's Jesus saying here? Here's what I think is going on. Daniel at the beginning, I think he, he's distraught and he's worried about the temples being halted, not being rebuilt. And he's praying to God about that. And then this man comes, whether it's Jesus or an angel, and he gives him this vision. And in this vision, he's telling them, hey, you remember what happened in Daniel 9? Do you remember that last vision I gave you of the ram and the goat? Remember how we told you that was going to be um, the Persians and then Greece? You know what's happening right now? It's the Persians right now. You know what's going to happen after that? 
It's going to be Greece. In Daniel 9, what we saw and what was, what was that all ultimately led to, was just, then it was Jesus. I think what Jesus is showing up and what he's conveying to Daniel right here is the fact that, hey, everything is progressing just as it is supposed to. I've got it under control. Yeah, the situation might look really bleak right now. Things might look really bad right now. It might be really distressful right now. But here's the deal. Everything is going according to plan. I've got this. I think that's the reminder he's given Daniel here in Daniel 10. And I think that's a reminder that we need today as well. Yeah, you might hear me say like, yeah, he, by his touch, he can bring peace. And you might be thinking, I've, I've been crying out for it. I want him to bring healing. I want him to bring peace in my life, but he hasn't yet. I'll encourage you with this. He's got it under control, whatever it is. It might not be easy for us right now, but he's got a plan. He's working it out. And in the end, what we get if we're on his team is eternity with him in a place where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there are no tears, it's all been wiped away. So whatever your situation is today, know that to be on Christ's team is the place that you want to be. And I encourage you today that if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, cry out to him and say, yes, Jesus, I am yours. I believe in you. I believe in what you did on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I believe that, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, just as you said. And one thing we do to let people know that we're on his team is after that happens in our life, after our life has changed, after we have new life, after we, we've placed our faith in him, then yeah, we get baptized. And happy to tell you that in two weeks, so not next Sunday, but the next, we're going to have a baptism here. Um, yeah, and so, so George, George is ready uh, to be baptized. I've been talking with him about it, and he's, he's excited uh, to share that with you guys as, as his church. Um, and so, but I also want to put the invitation out there. If that's something that you need in your life, if that's something where you need to put your identity in Christ and let everybody know, hey, this is a change that's happened in me, then talk to me about it. We're going to have everything set up. So if we're going to baptize one, we might as well baptize, you know, like 50. So, um, so yeah, if you're interested, um, talk to us because we'd love to celebrate that with you. And that, that's what that moment is. It's a moment of, of proclaiming to the world, I believe in Jesus. I'm in his, on his team. He has washed me. He has taken my sins away. He put them on the cross. He buried them in that grave. And they are no more. And that's what we celebrate through baptism. And so if that's a step that you need to take in your life, I encourage you to talk to me about it. Um, or one of our elders. And, uh, and we'd be happy to discuss those things with you um, and help you um, through that. So... But today, we have opportunity for uh, another of the sacraments, the Lord's Supper. And this is a time for those of us who are believers in Jesus, those of us who are on his team, to reflect on our life and reflect on where do we stand with him? How is it going in our walk with him? How are, how are things progressing? And are, are we doing a good job of representing him to the world? Are we doing a good job of being one that, that he can touch others through us? 
So it's a moment for us to kind of reflect on our life and say, you know, am I in step with the Lord? And I want to invite the worship team back up. I want to pray for us. Um, But yeah, we're going to take this time to prepare our hearts to take of the Lord's Supper together as a church. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for how great you are. We thank you um, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your peace that comes just through your touch. We thank you for the healing that you can bring into our lives. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for going to the cross for us. We thank you for having it all under control. That we don't have to worry about the way things are going because we know you. And we know that ultimately you're going to work out things for good. To those who love you, for those who are called according to your purpose. And Lord, we love you. And we've answered your call. And so I ask you to work out things for good. Lord, I do pray for our brothers and sisters in the kingdom who are in Russia right now and in Ukraine. And as they are facing the realities of war and they're facing the realities of, um, of leaders with apparently evil intent, Lord, I ask you that you uh, will just work in their lives, that you will touch them, that you'll bring them peace, safety, and security as only you can. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.